Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment? In the old-time religion of the Episcopal Church, God-parents solemnly promised when they brought a baby to be baptized that the child would learn the Lord's Prayer, the Creed, and the Ten Commandments. The clergy of that old-time religion were instructed that at least once a month they had to turn from the altar and face their congregation and recite the Ten Commandments. Now, I only knew one priest that did that without reading them out of the book, and he was a professor of Old Testament, which all goes to prove that the words of the commandments and the star-spangled banner are a little elusive, and the solo recitation is perilous. Our Lord is reaching the end of his earthly ministry, the pressure and the opposition are building, and the public sermons are becoming more like debates, if not shouting matches. So a lawyer tries to test him, which of the commandments is the greatest. Now you and I both know that's a foolish question. The importance of the commandments varies with the circumstances. Now, if you were out bar hopping last night on Mass Avenue, and you woke up with a headache this morning and was facing hearing an old sermon from old Father Stickway in a cold church, then the fourth commandment must take precedence. <laughs> now, when you were 10 years old, and you refuse to eat your vegetables, then the fifth commandment takes precedent over the seventh, as far as you're concerned. The seventh is about adultery, if nature. <laughs> and then, if your neighbor wins nine million bucks playing the lottery with the numbers that you have generally played for 20 years, it's commandment number 10 which you have to be careful of. Which commandment is the greatest is a question looking for an argument. And more to the point than what is the purpose of the Ten Commandments. Now St. Paul gives you a surprising answer. They are not there to make you good. We all fail miserably. They are there to tell us how miserably we all fail <laughs> and therefore are in need of God's grace and his forgiveness which comes through faith. So Jesus sees trouble in the eyes of this unnamed lawyer, but he proves that he knows his scripture which commandment is the greatest? Our Lord quotes Deuteronomy, 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your soul and your might and your strength. And then he follows it by another quotation from Leviticus, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two verses hang then all the rest of the law and the prophets. Now behind the rules, Jesus goes to relationships. Beyond the courtroom, he goes to the neighborhood where you and I live. My old parishioner, Ruth Hotchkiss, moved into her house with her two daughters over 50 years before I met her. It was in an era of a comfortable people were moving out from Manhattan into Queens, and she moved into a block of very comfortable, large houses. But when I met her, those houses were starting to be divided up into apartments for various families. What constituted a family was somewhat of a mystery to Mrs. Hodgkiss. But Mrs. Hodgkiss refused to move. Her two daughters who lived on the north shore of Long Island used every argument in the book but it was her house and her neighborhood and she would only leave feet first, so she told me. Now, Mrs. Hodgkiss, who never weighed more than 115 pounds, was a pillar in our church. And I say that because she made it a church and not a clubhouse and there's a big difference. And what she did in her church, she did on her block. All sorts of people knew her, drug addicts when their minds were clear, and little children and delinquent teenagers. She never knew a stranger, and perhaps sometimes their parents didn't understand Mrs. Hodgkiss's English, but she soldiered on. Now, during the time when I first met her, there were various block associations sort of springing up all over the place. And I asked Mrs. Hodgkiss, had she gone to the one in her neighborhood? And she said, yes, if I was stickway, I did. But I felt somewhat uncomfortable. And she said, you know, I have more important values than that of my property. I have never forgotten that. I have more important values than my property. She told me that because she knew that when our Lord got into this argument with that lawyer, the way Luke tells it, he inserts the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's the story, of course, as you know, is a man who's mugged by the side of the road on the road to Jericho and various people pass him by and then he's cared for by a lowly Samaritan. And the parable seeks to answer the question, who is my neighbor? 
But Mrs. Hoshkiss knew the difficult meaning lying in that parable. Because our Lord is not the good Samaritan at all. But he's the half-dead man in the ditch by the side of the road. It was only a matter of months when the man who told that parable was himself dragged through a street and hung half dead on a cross. To love your neighbor is to love God. To forgive your neighbor is to obey God. To serve your neighbor is to serve God. We do not choose our neighbors. Our neighbors choose us. And in the light of this parable stand the walls between nations and all those little gates of those communities which surround our urban areas to protect those who live behind them. Loving God and loving your neighbor is the great commandment because it makes us great. It stretches us, it grows us, it draws us into the sacred heart of Jesus. Ruth Hodgkiss, she died in her bed in the presence of those two daughters and her priest. And she died in that old-time religion with the words of the general confession from morning prayer on her lips. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. And we have offended against thy holy laws. In whatever way, Mrs. Hodgkiss offended God's holy laws. She knew the grace and forgiveness of God which she shared with her neighbors. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen.